0: You're listening to St. Pius 10th Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. I first want to thank our Knights of Columbus here at St. Pius. Our Knights of Columbus uh, gathered together and they bought new material, uh, reading material for our parish. And so you'll see in those kind of bookshelves. Now, for you, we have a lot of new pamphlets, a lot of new books, uh, and that's all our Knights of Columbus here. Thank you. Uh, later this week on Thursday, we know that is the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of Our Blessed Mother, a holy day of obligation where we're required to come to mass to give thanks for our Blessed Mother. Right? Uh, we are in need of extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion for both our 5:30 p.m. vigil mass on Wednesday and our 5:30 p.m. mass on Thursday. During Advent, Father Brady and myself are explaining the Mass, where it comes from in sacred scripture, and where it comes from in our tradition in the church. Um, you can re listen to our homilies from the past or in the future on our website, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you kids listen to. Um, these are kind of catechetical in their nature, and so it means that we're just explaining. Things, instead of rather exhorting the gospel. Uh, this is part two, the liturgy of the word. Listening to God's word is necessary. and Throughout history, the church has always spoken of two areas in which the Catholic is fed, the table of the word of God and the table of the Eucharist. From listening to God, the Word of God, faith is born and strengthened. And then from there, the Eucharist, the Word made flesh, gives himself to us as spiritual food. It's important to realize that the Word, the Bible, leads us to the Eucharist. The Word of God prepares the Word of God made flesh. They go hand in hand. The readings from Scripture do not merely provide us with exhortations to the moral life, or readings from Scripture do not merely give us reflections on the spiritual life or moral living, and the Bible does not simply tell us or talk to us about God. The Bible Is God's own speech itself. In the liturgy of the word, God speaks to us. We encounter the words of God Himself spoken personally to each of us. Now, the Catholic Church is on a three year cycle for Sundays year A, year B, and year C. We just started year A with the beginning of Advent. In this three year cycle, the entire Bible is read at Sunday Masses. And the readings are hand-selected so that they all connect with each other. That in that Old Testament reading, that New Testament reading, the Gospel fulfills it. It's connecting all together. And so if you think about it, coming to Sunday Mass is the greatest Bible study on planet Earth. If you wanna do a Bible study, then come to mass and pray with the readings. The church hand selects them. Holy Mother Church is taking us by the hand on a grand tour of sacred scripture, connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament. For our first reading, it's usually from the Old Testament. And while the Old Testament awaits the fulfillment of divine revelation in Jesus Christ, the church accepts with veneration as authentic divine revelation, the Old Testament. The Old Testament is God speaking. The New Testament is God speaking. And so when people say, I prefer the God of the New Testament rather than the Old Testament, that makes no sense. God is not duplicitous. God is the same. We cannot adequately understand Jesus and the New Testament without knowing the story of Israel and the Old Testament. If you want to understand Jesus more, understand his history. These readings, for the first reading, generally correspond with the gospel. The gospel picks up the central message and fulfills it. We say thanks be to God at the end, as taken from St. Paul. St. Paul says that when he thanks the Lord for delivering him from sin and death. And so we say that since the Bible ultimately points to Jesus and the work of his salvation. The Responsorial Psalm is taking this, uh, this hymn that we sing, Is taken from a collection of hymns, 150. These hymns were used in private devotion and in the temple liturgy for the Jews. These Psalms were used by the Jews as they ascended into the temple for worship. And so we use it for connecting the Old Testament and we're ascending into the New Testament. It's the the kind of a hinge that connects the readings. Using psalms for worship is natural. St. John, in his book of Revelation, peers into heaven and the liturgy being celebrated. He sees thousands of angels singing the praise of God. For our second reading, It comes from the New Testament and is usually kind of selected apart from the first reading and the gospel. It's a standalone text, usually taken from St. Paul. This is kind of an exhortation, the second reading, on how to be a Catholic, how to live it out, practical applications. And so when people say, look, Father, just tell me black and white what I need to do, what I don't need to do, just give it to me straight, uh, St. Paul is your man. Uh, the second reading is your bread and butter. That's where he gives us the exhortation on how to live faithfully to God, how we put on Christ and turn away from sin. And then we move to the Alleluia. The Alleluia, this is going to sound super nerdy, the Alleluia is actually kind of, has been in a heated debate since the before Christ on what it means, right? The Hebrew text. Each letter of the Alleluia meaning a different word in the Hebrew. Uh, I'm not getting into that. <laughs> Y'all going to be put to sleep. Uh, so, but generally, in every transliteration of the word Alleluia means praise the Lord. That's kind of the central meaning of it. The word Alleluia was used by the angels in heaven to praise God for his work of salvation in the book of Revelation. The Gospel. The fathers of the church, those first Christians, often said that we should receive the Gospel with the similar purity as we receive communion. The priest or the deacon, as he walks across and he bows before the altar, prays for that same purity, That prayer taken from Isaiah chapter 6. We pray for that purity. The sign of the cross that we make over our forehead, our lips, our heart, over our forehead so that our intellect may be blessed and that we may understand what we hear. We do the sign of the cross over our lips so that our words and our speech may be blessed and that we ourselves may proclaim the good news. And then finally, the sign of the cross over our heart so that our hearts may may actually believe what we hear. And then we kiss the gospel at the end as an act of thanksgiving for the gift of our faith. The proclamation of the gospel is kind of unique because it makes Jesus present to us in a profound way. We are not merely spectators hearing about what Jesus once did or what he actually said a long time ago. No, that's what separates the Bible from every other book in the entire world. When I read the Gospels, Jesus is actually speaking to me right now. Christ is speaking to each of us personally. And so when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, He's saying that to me right now. Or that when I feel sorry for my sins and I'm spiraling into despair, I can listen to Jesus tell me right now, neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. The gospel makes Jesus present to us in a profound way. The homily is taken, of course, out from our blessed Lord in Luke chapter four, but then St. Paul picks it up and explains it in Romans chapter 10. He says, how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? But the homily, there's a lot to say on the homily. What makes a good homily? What makes a bad homily? Is it too long? When is it too short? I'll kind of limit it to just one thing. The preacher has an obligation to keep in mind the supreme love of God and the eternal salvation of souls. A homilist is only a good homilist if he helps you actually live a holy life. If your, your favorite homilist is your favorite homilist because the first thing you think of is, I think he's really funny and he doesn't change the way you live, you do not have a favorite homeless, you have a favorite comedian. If you think of your favorite homeless because he's short and he tells really good stories and he doesn't help you change the way you live, you don't have a favorite homeless. I don't know what that is. Jesus will judge a priest. And whenever he judges his preaching, he's going to ask, Were your people holy? So in a nutshell, a good homily is one that actually helps you believe that you can become a saint and that it changes the way you live. After the homily, we go to the creed, What we'll profess in just a little bit, creed, Credo, the Latin for I believe. In the church, we've had plenty of creeds throughout our history the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed. All of these creeds are summaries of the faith, the one faith started by Jesus Christ, and that we profess with the same faith. We profess the same creed that the church professed at the beginning across the entire world, and there has been only one church that has done that since the time of the apostles. That church is the Catholic Church. The creed that we are about to profess is the same words uttered by every Catholic and every generation from the time of the apostles. Can we even imagine a world without the gift of faith? The faith that brings us consolation, that gives us instruction or warning and confidence, consolation, that gives us fortitude. The same faith that inspires us, that gives us courage, and that brings us hope. When we say that creed, know that you say it with every Catholic that has ever lived. Then we move to the final part of the liturgy of the word, the universal prayer. St. Justin Martyr in the year 150 kind of summarizes why we do the universal prayers. He says that when we rise together, we offer prayers for ourselves and for all others. May we be so that we do this so that we may be found righteous by our life and our actions and faithful to the commandments so to attain eternal life. As Christians, we pray for people. This is found all over the Bible. We pray for one another, and we do that in our universal prayers. But during Advent, Father Brady and myself are explaining the Mass, where it comes from in sacred scripture, where it's found in our tradition. There's four parts to the Mass. There's four four Sundays in Advent. This was part two, the liturgy of the word. And I want to end with this. The mass is much more than the invention of today. In fact, it's the crown jewel that has been passed down in every generation. The structure of our mass was set in stone by the year 150. That's the first generation of Christians. And so, it is not our job to change it based on what I want. Our job is to pass down what was handed on to us. The Mass is Scripture being lived out.